the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through 1 Peter. Real love is calling, listen, truth opens up your eyes. It's time to get back to the basics and to understand the wisdom of God, irrespective of how much we at times like what God says or doesn't. He always expresses himself in a way that is for our best. And if we would approach his word from that standpoint of God is good and he always wants his best for me, then even the hard passages we can accept and receive knowing that a good God wants things for our good. And if we would just get back to basics, maybe things would go better for us. God is a good God who has your best interest at heart. In today's message from Pastor Gary, he encourages you to understand that God is an all-loving Father. His character, His love, and His Word never changes. Pastor Gary explains to you the importance of taking in the whole counsel of God Don't cut and paste what you like from the Bible. Seek to understand all of it. Seek to understand God's heart and His wisdom within the Scriptures. God gave the entire Bible for us to learn and glean from Him. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary in the book of 1 Peter, chapter 2, with today's edition of Cornerstone Connection. And he he says now, overall, to anybody, Jew or Gentile alike, who receives Christ, you become a special people unto the Lord. Now, it's not a closed group. As many, as many as received him, to them that believed on his name, he gave the right to become sons of God, children of God. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever, okay, so it's not a closed group. It's exclusive in the sense that it's the belief centered around the fact that there's one and only one Savior, and his name is Jesus, but it is, the group is open to all. Whosoever believes shall receive. And he says, to that end, then you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a people, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, called out of darkness. You know, before we come to know Christ, we're just living in darkness. That's what it is. And 1 John 1, 5 says that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. So darkness is just a picture of the world, the deception of the world, the, the unfulfillment of the world, just everything that goes with the world system. And he, and he says, this is what God has brought us out of. He's called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. We, we didn't belong to him, but now we belong to him. There's nothing, there's nothing worse than not belonging. And there's nothing quite better than that sense of belonging. And so he, he's saying here, once we're not a people, but now you are a people. You've obtained mercy. 
you belong to God. And so, because of all this, notice how he transitions now into verse 11. Beloved, I beg you, as sojourners and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul, having your conduct honorable among the Gentiles, that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may, by your good works which they observe, glorify God in the day of visitation. Okay, so do you see how he's building on everything that we just already looked at? He's talking about here, Christ is the rock, he's the cornerstone, he, he is the stone upon which our salvation is built and the church is built, salvation that was gained freely, God's delivered us out of darkness, he's brought us into the kingdom of the Son whom he loves, we've now been taken from darkness into the light and all this wonderful stuff. Uh, None of us deserved it. We couldn't earn it. This is what God did for us, free gift. And then he goes, now, I beg you. That's how verse 11 starts. Beloved, I beg you. You're sojourners. You're pilgrims. He uses this terminology to remind us this is not our home. Don't get too comfortable here. Do not get comfortable here. The writer of Hebrews says something similar in Hebrews 11, 13. He He calls us strangers and pilgrims. We're passing through. This language is often repeated in Scripture, particularly in the New Testament, to remind us we have got to stop acting like the world. You have been brought out of a dark world. Stop acting like it. This is challenging. Man, I want all of us to really take this stuff to heart. We are to live as sojourners, pilgrims, foreigners, aliens. We're passing through. We don't belong here. You should feel a little uncomfortable and awkward like you don't fit in. If you feel too comfortable and you feel too much like you fit in, something's wrong. Now, you know, let me just illustrate this. If you've ever traveled overseas to a foreign country and you've been totally taken out of your element, your culture, your language, you you know a little bit about what I'm talking about in terms of a sense of awkwardness. I don't really belong. I don't know the language. So this past July... Um, I was invited to speak at a, a global missions conference for One Hope in Thailand. And so Terry went with me. It was the first time we'd ever been to Thailand. And talk about feeling completely out of place. Didn't look like them. I'm just a little bit white. Uh, I, I, I didn't know the language. Um, I like Thai food, except what I found out when I go to Thailand is Thai food in Thailand is like a hundred times spicier than Thai food in America. So every place we'd go at a restaurant, I'd be like, just give me whatever's in coconut milk. That's all I want. Whatever's in coconut. I don't want anything spicy. Just give me the coconut. And they're like, okay, okay, coconut milk. Gotcha, gotcha. No spice. No, no spice. And even the stuff in coconut milk, my mouth was on fire. Fire. But the whole time there, you know, look, you're, you're out of place in, in the sense of this is unfamiliar. I don't know the language. I don't know the culture. You know, the, the money, it, it's bots, and, and, it's, and it's like 300 bots to a dollar. So then, you know, like, like a, a little, a little um, those little, I forget what they call them, um, those little bicycle uh, taxis. I forget, what are they called? Tut-tuts, yeah, right? To- something, all right, see, I don't even know. 
It was like three bucks, but they're like, that's $900. Nine bots, 900 bots. They're like, this is so confusing. I don't, I don't know how to translate. I don't, know, I don't know anything about the culture. I feel strangely out of place. But by the way, wonderful people, the Thai people. I've never met people who smile more than the people of Thailand. And, and I even said something to, to one of the uh, ladies who was hosting us. I said, I have never been around people who smile as much as you. And, and she says, why do you think, and I didn't, even, I didn't even pay attention, why do you think the official airlines of Thailand is called Smile Airlines? The official airlines of Thailand is Smile Airlines. The, the happiest people, smiling about everything. But I was completely out of my element. And I was painfully aware of it, too. Not, a, not in a bad sense. It was a, it was a wonderful experience, but just in the sense of it became painfully obvious when you are taken from what is familiar and comfortable in your language and your culture and your food and your bed and everything, and you're put somewhere around, literally, around the other side of the world, you don't speak the language, you, everything is foreign to you in every way, you just feel a little strangely out of place. That's how it should be for us. We are living in a foreign country as Christians in the sense that this world is not our home. So we should feel at times a little bit like, I don't quite fit in. I don't get the lingo. I don't understand all of, you know, what they might do and how they might live and places they might go. And so it should, it should affect us like this. Uh, I, I, I am troubled as Christians we have certain liberties. I get that. But if, if your liberties are at the expense of your witness, that's not liberty at all. That's hypocrisy. Amen. And we need to start living as men and women who love Jesus and let that be seen and displayed in the way that we conduct ourselves, in the way that we speak, in the way that we socialize, in the places that we go, so that people can see we truly have been delivered out of darkness into the kingdom of the light of the Son whom God loves, because our salvation was purchased for us at a very high price, the blood of Jesus Christ. So let's stop trampling the blood of Jesus and live for His glory. And this is the kind of thing that Peter's saying here. Because I beg you, I'm begging you. We're pilgrims here. We're we're sojourners. We're the NIV says aliens and strangers. So therefore, abstain. Circle that in your Bibles. Abstain is the word. Not go ahead and dabble in it a little bit. Abstain from fleshly lusts. And that doesn't just mean sexual, although the word lust primarily can mean that. It just means a, an appetite and a craving for things that are not right. Not r- right in the sense of in God's eyes. Not honorable to God. Not glorifying to God. We need to be always taking inventory of our lives and asking, is what I'm doing and where I'm going and the things I'm engaged with and the people I hang out with, is this all glorifying to God? Or is it just appealing to my fleshly lusts? Because the word is instructing us here, abstain from it. Don't play with it. Don't dabble in it. It's, it's abstinence. Abstain from it. Abstain from fleshly lusts. Whether it be appetites that are wrong that we have, that we need to die to. Whether it's 
sexual lusts that are just purely fleshly and not and not exercised in a way that is honorable and pleasing to God in the context of a marriage between a man and a woman. So, I mean, all of this that he's challenging us about, and notice the word war. That, that's telling, isn't it? There in verse 11, 11, he says, these things war against the soul. We're in a war. This is not, this is not to be taken casually. This is to be taken seriously. We're in a war. And it's not just a war with the world culture and the world environment, though that's part of it. We're at a war with ourselves. You, you know, the, you know the, the biggest um, challenge to my Christian walk is me. The biggest challenge to your Christian walk is you. It's our fleshly instincts and lusts and desires and appetites that often get in the way. We have to abstain from these kind of things. We have to die to these kind of things. We have to crucify the flesh. And so this is what he challenges us about here. These things war against the soul. Verse 12, having your conduct honorable. This is what we need to be about. Living our lives in such a way that it's honorable before the Gentiles, which is just basically a word that means the unbelievers. It's not strictly Gentile versus Jew. It just means unbelievers in general. Our conduct needs to be honorable among unbelievers. So that when they speak against you as evildoers, which people will, I mean, people are going to say things, that they may, by your good works, which they observe, notice that, they're always watching. Somebody's always watching. Glorify God in the day of visitation. Meaning, when the Lord returns, or when they go to heaven, one or the other, when they meet the Lord, hopefully, unbelievers, even though they might speak evil of you, will somehow be moved to Christ because of your good behavior that sets a good example of who Jesus is. And that will serve to be a testimony for an unbelieving world when they watch you. When they watch you. People are watching you. And you've heard the old saying that you might be the only Bible some people read. And so what are you showing them? by the way that you conduct yourself. Is your conduct honorable? Are you living in a way that glorifies God and is honorable so that a lost and dying world gets a glimpse of Jesus through you? This is serious stuff here. Well, then he goes on in verse 13. And um, I want you to notice, if you have subtitles in your Bibles like I do, that, they're, that, that we're heading into different sections that are similar. Uh, for example, in verse 13, the subtitle in my Bible says, Submission to Government. In verse 18, the subtitle there says, Submission to Masters. And then in chapter 3, verse 1, it says, Submission to Husbands. And then the word is not actually used um, except in the Greek, but at the end of chapter 3, verse 22... Last verse of chapter 3, it says, Who, that is Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God, angels and authorities and powers, having been made subject to him, it's the same Greek word, are in submission to him. So he's going to head into this section here about submission. He's going to talk about um, 
how does it work in the world? Because he's going to mention government. How does it work in the workplace? Because he's going to talk about masters. He's going to talk about in first century Rome. He's going to talk about relationship between slaves and masters, which in modern vernacular would be more like employees, employers, but we'll talk about it. And then he's going to talk about how does it work? How does it look in the home in chapter three? And then he even mentions basically how does it work in heaven? That's the end of chapter three, verse 22 that I just read. And in order to understand where he's going, I want you to look at one key verse with me in your Bibles. It's chapter 3, verse 8. So look in your Bibles at chapter 3, verse 8, because this has everything to do with this topic. So chapter 3, verse 8. Finally, see that's his summary term to kind of tie it all together. Finally, all of you be of one mind, underline that, having compassion for one another, love as brothers, be tender-hearted, be courteous, not returning evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, blessing, knowing that you were called to this, that you may inherit a blessing. So there in your Bibles in verse 8 where it says, finally, all of you be of one mind. Uh, the ESV says, have unity of mind. Uh, NIV translates it, live in harmony with one another. It's the Greek word homophron. Homophron uh, literally translates being of the same mind or harmonious. Now that's a key word. And again, the NIV says live in harmony with one another. I think it's a good translation of this Greek word. And so in order to understand where he's going in these areas of the world, the workplace, the home, and heaven... He's going to focus our attention here on this idea of harmony. Now, um, just by definition, okay, in a, in a musical sense, harmony is the use of simultaneous tones working together in an orderly arrangement to achieve a pleasant, unified sound or effect. Now, I just want us to get that definition because it's going to help us understand in a spiritual sense what he means here with all of this. The idea, the goal here is harmony. It's harmony in the world. It's harmony in the workplace. It's harmony in the home. It's harmony in heaven. How do we achieve harmony in environments where there are different people, differences of opinions, different personalities, different ideas, different perspectives. So there's a, there's a way he's going to tie all this together. He says the main goal is that there might be harmony in all of this. Now, just a couple of points about harmony to, to understand before we unpack these verses. But um, the idea behind harmony is a couple of things. First, in a musical sense, harmony assumes differences. If, if everybody is singing the melody line, then you're all singing the same note. But when there's harmony, there's, there's differences in the notes, and there's a harmonious sound because the differences in those notes are sung or played in such a way that it blends to create a pleasant sound. So that's important to note because when we talk about achieving harmony in the workplace and government and home and all this kind of stuff, it already assumes differences. We're, if everybody was just like you, somebody wouldn't be necessary, 
right? So the, the goal is not that we have to all be the same. There's always richness in our differences. The idea is, how do you see those differences as complementary instead of competing? Because once people see differences as compete, I mean, do we not see that in government right now? So we have two major parties that have a lot of differences about the way things should work and, and goals and different ideas. And, um, and so differences aren't bad. It's just what, what do you do with those differences so that it doesn't end up in just a dogfight, which is what we're seeing, you know, primarily on Capitol Hill these days. And, and so, and in the home, same thing. You're going to have a husband and a wife who are different. Um, and, and yeah, praise God for that. Uh, and there's different perspectives and there's different ideas. The differences are not, each other's not the enemy. The differences need to be understood in terms of how, how do we blend these differences so that it's complementary instead of competing. So how do we bring harmony out of this? Because this is where Peter is going with all of these things. So number one, it assumes differences. And number two, in regards to harmony, it's arranged vertically. Musically speaking, a harmony is the vertical aspect of music, whereas melody is the horizontal aspect. You know, on a melody line, you're all, you're all on the same horizontal note. But in a harmony arrangement, it's, the notes are arranged vertically. And the reason I mention that is because as in, in the musical sense, it translates into this spiritual idea that when he's going to talk here about achieving real harmony in these different places, there has to be this vertical order. Nobody should feel, when we start to talk about this, which it looks like we're going to get more into next week, nobody should feel that the order means greater than or less than. It just simply means an arrangement so that things are, are most pleasant sounding in terms of the harmony. There's an order of arrangement and there's a vertical order. And we're going to see here that whether it relates to government, whether it relates to the workplace, whether it relates to the home, or whether it relates to heaven, there's one thing that all four of those arenas have in common, and that is that there's a, a, a set, an order, a structure of authority. And that structure of authority does not mean that one person is greater than or, or less than another, except as it relates to heaven, I suppose, because, you know, God is greater than anything else in the heavenly realms. But all it simply means is that God has arranged things in an orderly manner so that there might be the most harmony. So that's the angle we're going to come at this from. And and so, you know, maybe by God's grace, he's allowed me not to have to wade into this tonight. Uh, and, And so we'll pick it up here next week because I know, I already know when we get into chapter three that some people are like, I can't believe that this is, you know, we're talking about it. Let, listen, let me, let me tell you something. You know, don't look at your Bibles and think, this is so old, you know, and, and when is it going to get up to date? You know, we need to revise this stuff because this is so backwards. And like, let me tell you something. The more we've gotten further and further away from the Word of God in our culture, the worse things have unraveled. It's time to get back to the basics and to understand the wisdom of God irrespective of how much we at times like what God says or doesn't, 
He always expresses himself in a way that is for our best. And if we would approach his word from that standpoint of God is good and he always wants his best for me, then even the hard passages we can accept and receive knowing that a good God wants things for our good. And if we would just get back to basics, maybe things would go better for us. You've been listening to Pastor Gary Hamrick on Cornerstone Connection. Pastor Gary is making his way through the book of 1 Peter, where we will encounter thoughts like this one from 1 Peter 1, 6-7. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelations of Jesus Christ. In just two short verses, Peter shifts the entire paradigm of suffering. First, he tells us that it's suffering for a little while and tells us that it has a purpose in purifying and testing our faith. Are you going through one of these trials? You can email us at prayer at cornerstonechapel.net. We would love to pray with you that your faith would be perfected through it. Cornerstone Connection is a ministry out of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. We have services Sunday mornings at 8.30, 10, and 11.45, and Wednesday evenings at 7. Come by and see us. For all the information you need, head over to cornerstoneconnection.cc. Once again, that website, cornerstoneconnection.cc. We're coming to the end of our time today. But we will be back again next time with more from Cornerstone Connection. They say you're a wandering soul That you've got no place to go But still you know You're not alone Real love is calling Listen, truth opens up your eyes General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.